Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of Play Me Tape, a show where we delve song by song into the music that means something. I'm joined as always by my good friend Darren. Hi, buddy. <laughs> and my name is Jake. Darren, we're going to do something a little bit different right off the top, right from the get-go. What are we doing differently this time? We are going to give people our email address. Right off the top. So they can send us a message and tell us how wonderful we are. We want to emphasize this right at the beginning. Yes. Podcast at gmail.com is our email. We're going to put a link in the blurb. If you'd like to click on that and send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Indeed. Positive, negative, we don't care. Well, I do. All right. <laughs> I have a very fragile ego. So I only want to hear good stuff. Right. Right? Exactly. I had a dream last night, and I don't often dream. I don't know if you're a dreamer, but I'm not. I don't typically dream. But last night I had a dream, and I can't tell you the details of it or anything. I just remember one sort of part of the dream where somebody mentioned how witty and charming I was. Nice. So I woke up in a great mood. I'm like, wow, somebody... Oh, wait, that was a dream. Damn it. <laughs> but it was a good dream. I enjoyed that. Science will tell us that you do dream. You dream every night. Yeah. You just don't retain any of it, which is really common. Only the good ones. Right. Right? Maybe I... I don't know. I, I feel like I don't dream on most nights, but like you say, maybe I am dreaming. I just don't recall any of it. Normally, I just wake up with a blank mind. Right. It's not the worst thing. You're flushing all that data and short-term yes. memory. You're RAM, flushing RAM. I like to flush my data. <laughs> you took it to a weird place, man. Yeah, flushing. Let's not go there again. We've done that before. That was a bad idea. Right. But I've started doing exercises, like physio exercises for my back. Oh, you haven't told me that. I blew my back out a little while back, and I didn't do much about it because COVID. But I did finally go and see somebody and they recommended I do some physio. And instead of going to a place and actually physically doing it, I just do it in my basement, which seems like a great idea. Makes sense. But as long as you have the space. We have the space. I lay my yoga mat down and I do my exercises and stuff. But I just so happened, I have two dogs, right? I have a retriever right. and a Samoid. And they seem to love this exercise thing. They just love to roll all over me and crawl underneath me. The other day, like two days ago, I was doing my planking. You ever do any planking? Oh, yeah, it's brutal. Oh, it's brutal. So here I am intensely planking. I'm about 30, 35 seconds in, and I can only hold a plank for a, a solid minute. That's about it. And my dogs are running around, and I have a cat as well. So the dog goes to visit the cat, and the dog is about five feet away from my face and it's the retriever doesn't he fart <laughs> and this is one of those things right dogs Where are awesome. aren't dogs amazing <laughs> it's like here i am all serious i'm exercising and i'm gonna get better and this is gonna be great and <laughs> oh hey and he's a room clearer yeah my dogs are tiny and they can produce significant clouds of vapor but it's never audible i know oh. i never hear a toot because they're tiny wee dogs we had a retriever years ago um and that dude he i mean he was epileptic and he was on yeah. a fair bit of medication so he always got a free pass for that but i never heard a thing that dude was sbd all day long <laughs> I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night. He would wake me with the smell. Oh, God. And, wow, that was an experience, let no me doubt. tell you. So, anyway, enough about dog farts. So, you're doing planks? Yeah, I'm doing planks. Yeah. Planks, I'm doing squats. Great for your core. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, right? With, with the blown out disc, I need to strengthen the core to make up for it. Planking was a really demoralizing experience for me. Really? Yeah stumbling across that as, as a core exercise and how good it is and how beneficial it is. And that seemed all really cool. And, you know, my dad is a lifelong fitness nut. Yes. And has maybe the best cardio of 
any human I've ever encountered or will encounter, given that I don't know any professional athletes. And that's not an exaggeration. His, yeah. his cardio is absurd. I remember going to him talking about planking and he wasn't aware of the exercise, just was not on his radar. And so I explained to him and whatever I was working towards, I think there's a core competency time frame where to be considered, you know, <laughs> just the basic, you don't have jelly in your midsection right. in terms of your core strength. You're supposed to be able to plank for whatever it is. Is it a minute? Is it two minutes? I don't know what it is. But the point was I was approaching that core competency minimum. <laughs> nice. Aim high. Yeah, aim high. And I told him about it. He thought, okay, that sounds really interesting. I don't see how that would exercise you, but that's what everyone says. I don't see how that would be a difficult exercise. And that guy cruised through like eight minutes or whatever it was. Oh, stop. He just got into the position and he stopped because he was so bored. What a, oh, come where's on. the exercise here? I do not understand what's going on. Why is this considered difficult? It was nothing to him. So that was particularly demoralizing to me. My God, I'm 30 oh. seconds in and I'm shaking like a paint mixer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because wow. you're human. He might not Holy. be. Well, it's because I've gone years and years without any physical activity. Yeah. I think I quit playing hockey three years ago. And since then, I've been a mess. I tore my hamstring. I tore my calf. So I haven't been able to do a whole lot. Getting old is amazing. It's good times. I'm just loving every minute of it. I would love to talk music on this music podcast. Right. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I like the sound of that. Talking about planking and dogs farting and <laughs> right. dreams. We've been all over the place this morning. Staying on topic. We're being very relevant. Very, very relevant. I'm not going to mention the name of the song I've chosen yet, but you know what it is, obviously. I do. And I have a little bit of a, a list here that I thought was quite interesting that pertains to the band that we're going to be talking about today. And that is bands that got a new lead singer. Okay, good. And either did well or not, or not so well. Not so well. <laughs> right. I wanted to start with very obvious Van Halen. Okay, yeah. Yeah, not who I would have not who I would have guessed you were starting with, but that makes total sense. Yeah, we've discussed them before. Right. Well, of course, we all know about David Lee Roth. Yeah. And he was replaced by Sammy Hagar. And against the norm, they did extremely well with Sammy. In fact, some would say even better than with David Lee Roth. Arguably, yeah. But we know that Sammy left. And when Sammy left, they replaced him with Gary Sharon. Do you remember right. this? Yeah, of course. Van Halen 3, yeah. From the band Extreme? Yep. And I've heard a lot of complimentary stuff. Now, the album tanked. Nobody cared. And that I mean, may have just been, okay. I thought nah, it was, it was crap. Really? Garbage. Yeah. Nobody cared. It had a sweet album cover. Yes, it did. It was the guy getting the cannonball in the gut, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I love that album cover. So he was the singer from Extreme. Now, Extreme did that song more than words, which I, I'd rather punch myself in the face than listen to. <laughs> but you. apparently he was a pretty competent musician and was really, really good with the band. Nobody cared. No, he wasn't the guitarist. The core guitarist for Extreme was Nuno Betancourt, yeah? Yes. So did he play an instrument outside of being the vocalist for Extreme? I don't think so. Whatever other skills he may have brought with him as vocalist, because Van Halen sure didn't want him touching any instruments. No, no, he didn't need to play anything. He strictly was there for vocals. But it just, it didn't work. And Van Halen was really optimistic because they had gone through the DLR to Sammy thing and it worked so well. They figured this Gary Sharon experiment would be amazing. I don't know if it was just this. People were kind of done with Van Halen at that point. Oh, look, they've changed lead singers. Again. Been there, done that. So actually, Sammy came back after that. They had the wildly, statistically unlikely career path of harnessing lightning in a bottle twice. Yeah. What were the chances that it was going to carry on for a third time? It did not. So yeah, Sammy came back, and then DLR came back, and then... It almost became a circus sideshow, which lead singer they had at the time, which is too bad. I don't know that it tarnishes their legacy all that much, but... Do you own a copy of Van Halen 3? I do not. Oh, you don't even own the album. Have you heard no. the whole album? No, I haven't. I didn't bother. 
Really? Yeah, I hated Extreme. Not even out of pure curiosity. No, I wasn't an Extreme fan. So when I heard Gary Sharon, I just rolled my eyes and went, not interested, thanks. You're not a fan of Mother? I don't want to go to school today? Apparently not. That was one of her hits, Extreme. Yeah, no, I never, I, I don't care. I heard that more than word song and I was done with them. The chorus to that song was, Mother, I don't want to go to school today. I think I'd rather <laughs> go outside and play. <laughs> that was the chorus. Lyrically brilliant. Nice work, boys. Moving on. <laughs> Enough extreme talk. Two seconds is too much. I expected you to start with ACDC, but I don't. Well, that's I where I'm going why. now. Yeah, I assume that, that was next up. And I don't know why I assumed they were first. Maybe just alphabetically they should come first. Yeah, maybe. I think I hold Van Halen higher on my favorite bands than ACDC. So oh, I don't that's question why. that at all. But you're right. ACDC obviously started with Bon Scott and Bon Scott died and was replaced with Brian Johnson. And again, bigger. You know, what are the chances? Way, way bigger. They, it was a surprise to me. I remember in late high school or whatever, I was only really familiar with their music post Back in Black. Was not aware of anything that came before. Did not know that they were one of those bands that had replaced the lead. And I was kind of disappointed when I finally heard um, some music from the original lead singer. I was kind of disappointed. You had TNT, what it was called. Yep. And some songs that were a little bit novelty-ish. Big balls. Brilliant. <laughs> How dare you, sir. Sorry. I was, not, I was not a huge fan of the Bon Scott era. See, I like For Those About to Rock. Okay, that's fair. Incredible. A whole lot of Rosie. It's Don't a long it. way to the top. Right. Okay, fair. Where he plays the, uh, he's playing the bagpipes. Come on, it's amazing. And they never were able to do that after Bon Scott died. They could never do that song in concert. They never did that song in concert because nobody else could play the bagpipes. Right. There's another band that was able to replace their lead singer and do amazing. I kind of lost interest in ACDC in the early 90s because I found the album, uh, I don't even remember the name of the album, that had Thunderstruck on it. Razor's Edge? Razor's Edge. I hated... How did I get that before you did? I don't know. I hated Brian Johnson's voice on that album. Brian Johnson's voice was cartoonish to me on that album. Yeah. It really wore on me. Don't (laughs) get me wrong. I liked Thunderstruck when it came out. I loved it. I listened to it a lot. I owned a copy of that cassette. You did. And you made me listen to that regularly. And that was an amazing song to drive around to. I don't know if you remember how often we drove around (laughs) and you would crank that tape. But one of the things that was, we've talked about this before many times. We've talked about the meaning of a song, changing the overall feel or your reaction to a song. Yep. When I inevitably finally sat down and learned what the lyrics were to that song. Boy, was I disappointed. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it was such a, an amazing song. It just, it just was such an in-your-face rock song. And then reading the lyrics, and I just kind of went, eh. Kind of expected it to be about more, about something more than what it was actually about. Yeah, but that's not ACDC's thing. No, no, it really is. There's no substance to their lyrics. <laughs> that seems unfair. No, I think it's fine. And I think if you said that to them, they'd probably be okay with it. Right. They are a fun rock and roll band. And that's about it. Yeah. And I'll take it. I, I enjoy them in that capacity. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything with any more substance from them. You know, when their Christmas song is called A Mistress for Christmas, <laughs> you kind of know what they're all about. Touche. Let's get to the next one here. Journey. Right. I don't know if you know the story of this, but Steve Perry was replaced. I mean, much, much later on. And they went through a few guys. And of, Steve Perry was a replacement himself. He was, that's right. But clearly they liked him and they achieved the most success with him. And then he kind of lost interest in the band. And for a long time, they they sort of kept going on, but nobody cared. Ouch. And they found a guy on YouTube from the Philippines that could do a Steve Perry spot-on impression. Wow. Arnel Pineda, I think is his name. And so they hired him. He's still in the band. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know that very many people care all that much, but... He's supposed to be quite good. I've never actually heard him do anything. I'm not a particularly big Journey fan. Mm-hmm. 
but I did think it was interesting that, you know, a guy out on YouTube doing a Steve Perry impression can get hired by the band. Well, especially if they're in a phase of their career and I don't know anything about their career, so I may be entirely speaking out of my ass, but if they're in a phase of their career where they are touring based on nostalgia, yes, what people are showing up to hear is music that is presented in a way that is as similar as possible to what they yeah, heard on the albums. Exactly. Yeah, good call. Makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. Next one is Rage Against the Machine. Okay. This one's a little different, right? Because they picked up Chris Cornell and they changed and their changed name. The name, yeah. But essentially the band was the same. Yeah. I liked Audio Slave. A lot of people did. I was a Chris Cornell fan, so I thought it was pretty cool. It was a great sound. They've got some really, really good stuff. He's a great vocalist. Yes. Incredible range. I loved his work with Soundgarden. So I was okay with Audio Slave. Some people weren't. The knock against Cornell is he just couldn't do the big Rage Against the Machine songs, most notably Killing in the Name of. Right. And apparently it was quite bad. Just his ability to rap the rapped lyrics? Is that? I guess. It just didn't, yeah, it just didn't go just together. didn't translate yeah. in another guy's. That's okay. I still think that's a decent replacement. Yeah. I think that was an okay one. Well, it was a successful album from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then along the same lines is Velvet Revolver, right? Guns oh, N' Roses yeah, with Scott Weiland. Yeah. Replace Axl Rose with Scott Weiland. And they kind of stayed away from the GNR stuff live. They did a couple of songs. I believe they one of their staples was Mr. Brownstone from Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, interesting. But otherwise, they sort of stuck to the original stuff that they had they'd created as Velvet Revolver. You didn't see Velvet Revolver live, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I would have liked to. I, I was a fan. I liked the stuff that came out on the radio. I never got any deeper than that, but I liked them. I was a Scott Weiland guy. I loved Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, I remember. Great, great band. Two phenomenal albums in uh, Core and Purple. And then moving into talking about Stone Temple Pilots. It felt like everybody I know owned a copy of Purple. Yeah, it was a great album. I loved it. So STP, when Scott Weiland left, they tried to keep going and they were called Talk Show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And how'd that go? Uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. And moving on, speaking of who cares, Motley Crue. When Vince Neil left or was fired, nobody actually knows. They still can't agree to this day. Motley Crue hired John Karabi. Does the band maintain that they fired him and he maintains that he left in a hop? Yeah, it's all back and forth. Who knows? I, I don't even think the band knows. But they had had a fair bit of success with the Dr. Feelgood album. Oh, yeah. That was the very beginnings of when grunge started to become popular. But Motley Crue had some popularity around that time. They almost looked like they were going to be one of the hair bands that maybe was going to survive. They did not. And John Karabi was brought in and they almost did a Nine Inch Nails style album. Oh boy. Nobody cared. That would have been fascinating. Yeah, they tried. Didn't work. So they booted him. They tried touring with him. Nobody wanted to hear John Karabi. They wanted to hear Vince Neil. Yeah, no doubt. So that was a three-year experiment that did not work. And Vince Neil came back. You know what Vince Neil, you know why he left? Was that the car accident? No, he wanted to go car racing. Really? He tried to become a professional auto racer. Wow. That I did not know. How'd that work out for him? Uh, not great. He went back to the band. That's okay. He, you know, I guess it's something he wanted to go and do, and he did it, and it didn't work out all that well, so he went back. Black Sabbath. Oh, boy. Ozzy left. My favorite singer, Ronnie James Dio, replaced him. <laughs> That's sarcasm, folks. There was some success with Dio as the lead singer. People why liked you, him. Why do you hate Dio so? I don't hate Dio. I love the song Rainbow in the Dark. Oh my God, it's amazing. His voice is fantastic. Incredible voice out of such a tiny little man. Yeah, he's a little dude. But what I didn't know was that Ian Gillian from Deep Purple actually replaced Ronnie James Dio for a short period of time from 83 to 84. They did one album and... Which, which ties in nicely to... Nobody cares. Where did where did Dio come from? Oh yeah, Dio came from 
Rainbow. Rainbow, yeah. Which was Richie Blackmore's right. project. And he was from Deep Purple. He was the guitarist of Deep Purple. And this was him breaking away from Deep Purple and forming his own band. So Dio went from <laughs> this Deep Purple Splinter group into, into Sabbath. And then a Deep Purple castaway came in to replace him. Yeah. It didn't work. None, none of that worked. So they bailed on him. And I guess eventually Ozzy came back to Sabbath for some tours. Yeah. And if I was going to go see Black Sabbath, I want to go see them with Ozzy. I, I guess Dio would be okay. You and the entire fan base, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's all people seem to care about. This one you like, Sticks. Oh, yeah. You know who replaced the lead singer in Sticks? Your buddy. My good friend, Lawrence Your Gow. friend, yeah. Lawrence Gow. That didn't happen until 1999. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that late. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty late. But I guess he's pretty good. And Oh, he's a great vocalist. I don't, for those listening, I do not actually know Lawrence Gowan. I had a disaster. You don't? I had a disastrous fan experience <laughs> with him once, and I don't want to relive it. All right, we won't relive it. He was a perfect gentleman. I do, do not... This is not a never meet your hero story where I bumped into him in a coffee place and he pushed me down and kicked me in the crotch. There was nothing like that. That was not the story. Yeah, it's just the less said, the better. I'm an idiot. He's a really good vocalist. He really is. He's got a great voice and I think it really, really meshes with sticks nicely. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a great choice for them. And according to the article I read, they are, they tour like mad. Still. Yes. Like crazy. They're everywhere, which is really cool. I would totally go and see Sticks with Lawrence Gowan. I would in a heartbeat for sure. Yeah, that would be cool. Next up is CCR when they got rid of John Fogarty because the other two members. they replace Fogarty with? Who cares? Right. Dude, Fogarty was, he was CCR in, in my eyes. And Fogarty was also Fogarty. And you know about the lawsuit where they sued yeah, John Fogarty. Yeah, you sound too much like you. Stop it. <laughs> Amazing. These cease and desist sounding like yourself. That's insane. That's an interesting one. The guys in CCR realized very quickly, ah, crap. We're not good enough on our own. We done goofed. Yeah. They blew it. <laughs> the cars. Oh, my God. Rick Ocasek bailed on the cars. To f- pursue his production career right he he got into production yeah. and was very successful he yes. produced an album that at least one album that we know and love weezer yeah weezer's blue the, album the blue album yeah so they replaced rick okasek with todd rundgren they did and they called themselves the new cars oh god it was doomed from the start Ooh. as soon as they came up with that name well uh when they fired david byrne from the talking heads do you remember yes. that? Or when no. they, when they, I don't know that they fire, I don't know that anyone fires David Byrne, but when they continued without him and I don't, did they simply call themselves the heads Ugh. and the album, whatever, whatever the, the band name was, the album title was, I think it was no talking all head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I nice. think that's what the album title was. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. The Todd Rundgren experiment did not work. Nobody cared. I didn't. I wasn't even aware of that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I thought that was neat too. That's the first I'd ever seen that. I thought that was neat. Dude, Judas Priest. Yeah, of course. So Judas Priest, they replaced Rob Halford. Again, Rob Halford is another instance where he's the singer you know best. But yes. he was himself a replacement. Yes, that's right. Yes, it is right. Yeah, that's right. I knew that. Crazy. Well... They replaced him <laughs> with a fellow by the name of Tim Ripper Owens. Beauty. Now, I don't know how Ripper didn't succeed, but he was actually from a Judas Priest tribute band. Yeah. And the 2001 movie Rockstar was loosely based yeah. on, a, on the yeah. story of it's him. It's amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's an amazing little story. It's not a great movie. It's fun. Yeah. But it's it's so cool knowing that what the basis is for that story. And it's, yeah. it's Priest. It is. It's neat. So that leads us into the band for today's song choice, and that's Genesis. Right. Genesis has gone through a few lead singer changes. They started with Peter Gabriel. Yes. In 1967, and they were a very, very strange, 
progressive rock band with him. Yes. Probably most known for The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yes. You know, they wanted to garner interest in the band, so he would dress up in these crazy costumes and do this whole theatrical show. They developed a, a following because of it. I'm not sure that was even marketing. I think that was just Peter Gabriel. If you look at post-career, his whole career was very much about really doing interesting things on stage and really about the show. Yeah. I did read that. Spectacle, as it were. That was sort of the genesis of it. Hey-o. But he left in 1975, and the band kind of didn't know what to do. So they started auditioning singers. And Phil Collins was the one, obviously he was the drummer. He was the one that was kind of prepping the songs. And the people would come in and audition. And the band kept saying, they're not as good as Phil. They actually put an ad in Melody Maker magazine and asking for a Genesis type singer. And they had over 400 people respond. I can't even imagine how that would have worked out in the pre-internet days. Yeah. Getting a jillion people responding to a magazine ad. Yeah, crazy. Any idea, was it stated or was it apparent in the ad that it was actually Genesis? No. Who had placed it? Okay, so so no. they didn't get 40,000 people. No. They just they got, got f- their 400 people. Yeah, it was just a Genesis-like singer that they were looking for. But I guess everybody auditioned and the band said, nope, Phil, you're the one. And at that point... It was a good call in retrospect. It was a great call. Bill's a phenomenal drummer. And in a lot of cases, when they went on the road, they had to take a studio musician with them because Phil wasn't always going to be the one sitting at the drums and singing at the same time. Yeah. Which must be immensely difficult. I was going to say that seems like a grueling prospect. Yeah. So Phil left at one point in, I think it was 96, and they replaced him. I didn't know this. A guy by the name of Ray Wilson. I love his work. They did a, an album called Calling All Stations. Nobody cared. It did not sell. It doesn't ring a bell for me at all. Didn't do anything. The funny part of the whole Ray Wilson experiment is he was a British singer and things didn't really work out. He was only there a couple of years before Phil Collins came back. And he's made a huge career out of singing Genesis, Peter Gabriel, and Phil Collins songs. Touring as a tribute act? Yeah, I was on a really cool website that lists the number of times a song has been played live. And you can actually go in and look at bands and singers and see what songs they've done live. And as far as Ray Wilson, he's performed over 8,000 songs from those three artists. This guy makes his living, a good living, just singing those songs. Isn't it sad when the highest point in your career was the lowest point for the band that hired you? Yeah. Ouch. Kind of rough, right? Yeah, I'll say. When I think Genesis, I think Phil Collins. I don't think Peter Gabriel. I didn't like the Peter Gabriel era of Genesis. I don't have any time for it. I can't stand Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. It has no flow to it. I love Peter Gabriel as a solo artist. The So album, particularly? That's a great, great, great album. But when I think Genesis, I think Phil Collins. The one thing I have a problem with is Phil Collins was so prolific as a solo artist that they all blend for me. And I have a hard time differentiating between a Genesis song and a Phil Collins song when I, I hear them. I was just going to say, were you referring to Genesis albums or his solo work? And you realize that it almost doesn't matter. There's a lot of similarity in terms of the output. Yeah. When you listen to Genesis with Phil Collins singing, and then you listen to a Phil Collins solo. Similar. A solo song. It's him singing. He's got a very distinctive voice. He sure does. Yeah. I don't care who's on the guitar or who's playing bass care if it's Tony Banks or Mike Rutherford that are playing the instruments or not. Ouch. I'm kind of there to hear Phil. Ouch. Why do you hate bass? So I think the Ray Wilson thing wouldn't have worked out because I think a lot of people feel the same way I do. I want to hear Phil Collins. That's totally bassist. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, still don't care. You can call me bassist all you want. (laughs) When was the last time you sat down and watched 16 Candles? Uh, fairly recently. One of the funniest gags in that whole movie. One of my favorite visual sight gags. I just love it. 
it just makes me laugh. When they're about to go into the party and Farmer Ted is there with his two dudes and they're gearing up, they're psyching themselves up to go in. And he's just saying, you know, act cool or whatever. The, the two nerds that are accompanying him break into, it's just shtick, really. It's just physical shtick. And one of the nerds is John Cusack. And to show that he's really cool, he starts doing air guitar, but it's not, it's not air guitar. He's doing air bass. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Yes, I do. I laugh every time I see that. Who air guitars bass? <laughs> yes. Who does that? Uh, it was I such, do. It's such a funny little moment. John Cusack, I'm sure, picked that specifically. And it just, it works. And it's a blink and you'll miss it funny thing. But I laugh every single time. I love it. I do it every time I listen to a cult song. <laughs> Why? Just... Amazing. I got an idea. Let's listen to the song. Hey, that's a good idea. This week I chose Home by the Sea by Genesis. And just so you know, there's Home by the Sea and then there's Second Home by the Sea, which makes the song over 11 minutes long. And it's two separate tracks on the album. So we're just going to listen to Home by the Sea, the first one. Uh, It's five minutes and eight seconds long. And great, great, great song. So, hey, Jake. Yes, Darren? Play me tape.
Home by the Sea by Genesis, vocals by Phil Collins, not Peter Gabriel. I don't know this song. I don't own this album. I haven't listened to this album from beginning to end. In recent years, I've come to really appreciate Phil Collins and his solo stuff. I haven't dipped in very much to his work in Genesis. The only Genesis album I own is Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. That's the only one I own, which you hate. <laughs> well, I bought it because it's a sprawling concept album. Yeah, and I, I thought, I, it, a sprawling concept album, you say? I need to hear this. And I like it. It's not my favorite concept album. And it's not in my top five concept albums or anything like that. But I don't dislike the album. And I like his vocals. I'm not going to say I like them more than Phil's vocals. But I like them. I like them both. Having said all that. This was my first listen to this song that I'm aware of. If this played sometime in a room I was in, in my past, at some point, I have long since forgotten. So this was more or less, I think, my first listen to this. And I really liked it. From the onset, I really liked what I heard. I listened to it once last night, and I listened to it once this morning. And I started to look at it in terms of doing a little bit of research, as it were. I started to Google it and I, I started to see people's reactions to it. People react very strongly to the song emotionally. And I thought, I don't want to know. I'm going to leave it for you to describe and for you to explain. So walking in, I've heard this song twice. I quite like what I've heard, but I have no idea what I'm listening to lyrically or in terms of its inherent meaning. So go. I'm here to tell you. All right. The song is about a burglar who breaks into a house only to find out it's haunted. The burglar is then captured by the ghosts who force him to listen to their stories for the rest of his life. Really? That's the meaning of the song. And, and when you read the lyrics to it, I think it's a great song and it's a neat concept. I thought you were pulling my leg. That's conceptually, that's fascinating. It's pretty great. There's a whole part of the song where it says, sit down. Sit down. Uh, down. <laughs> nice. This song, this is a, a frizzin song for me. Okay. The reason I chose this song, this, my wife, her favorite artist of all time is Phil Collins. She's a huge Genesis fan. She's a huge Phil Collins fan. And today being Valentine's Day, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to go nice. Genesis route the album was called Genesis and then it had the song Mama on it. Do you remember that song? Of course. That's an incredible song. It also had an amazing song on it called Illegal Alien. Of course. Which is a fantastic song. This is a brilliant album. This is almost a dinger for me. What prevents it from being a dinger? For those not in the know, a dinger meaning a flawless album with all killer, no filler. Yeah, I don't know that. I, I think on a Dinger album, I'm super excited for the next song to start. Okay, so there's, there's no one song just overall that doesn't quite get you to that level. I love the song Mama. I love this song. I love the second part of this song, which is mostly kind of an instrumental. Does it progress the story? No. Or just no, sort of a continuation of the story? Yeah, it's just a continuation. 
I think just by the end of the album, I'm sort of done. I've heard all the songs that I want to hear, and I'm not really into the, the final couple of songs. And not that they're bad songs, but... Slightly too long an album. Yeah, I don't even know that it's that long, to be honest. <laughs> it's almost a dinger. It's a good one, and I, I highly recommend you listen to it, and I think you'll be surprised. There were five singles from the album, and I think you'll recognize all of them. This was a single. Home by the Sea was a single. Yeah, and I didn't know. It was released as a single, and yeah, I'm surprised. But again, we're talking 1983, so... yeah. I don't know what you were listening to back then, but it probably wasn't Genesis. Eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny. There you go, beauty. So yeah, my brother played this album a lot on candle turntable. They got it consumers distributing. Wow, I remember the candle brand. <laughs> I also remember consumers distributing. Kids, ask your parents. Wait in line. I don't necessarily think that the song lyrically is what completely draws me and I love the lyrics to this song they're great and the meaning of the song is really really cool but it's musically I love it I love Phil's voice in this song I'm gonna say it's really upfront and it's really aggressive I mean as insofar as a, a Genesis song is aggressive it's a fairly aggressive song I was expecting this to be a protest song of some kind I was expecting this to be something entirely different than what it turns out to be just because of that up-tempo, almost furious aggression. Again, insofar as you can call a Genesis song aggressive or furious. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Land of Confusion, and that is more or less a protest song. And I, I kind of expected this to be in the same vein. It is not. I love that song, too. I love Land of Confusion. It's an incredible song. And an incredible video. Oh, the best. Spitting Image. Yeah, the Spitting Image puppets. Yeah, amazing. If you haven't seen it, Go and watch it. Genesis Land of Confusion. It is brilliant. It's a snapshot in time for sure. You know, it dates it to that era, but it's so, so, so good. Well, it's Reagan. It's, it focuses so heavily on, on Ronald Reagan. The amazing thing about Genesis is when you sit down and you start actually paying attention to them, the number of amazing songs goes on and on and on. And I was lucky enough to have seen them live in 2007. Wow, okay. With Phil Collins. With Phil Collins for the Turn It On Again tour. September of 07, it's the only concert that ever played at BMO Field in Toronto. And what? outdoor show, yep, it's the only concert that's ever played there. Really? Yep. Why did they never use the venue again? I don't know. It was excellent. It's not like it's Marine Terminal 28 or anything. Yeah, yeah, we, ooh. Bad venue, people. It's a bad venue. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. And this was actually their, this was their kickoff show for their North American tour, for the Turn It On Again tour. They went from Toronto and then they went to Montreal and I think they did 11 or 12 other shows. What was even the, the capacity if they're using that as the, BMO Field is where the the MLS team yeah, tr plays. Toronto FC plays. The Toronto FC. So it's a decent sized outdoor. Don't the Argos play there now too? I think so. The CFL, Canadian nobody Football cares. League, Argos, Toronto Argonauts. Yeah, nobody cares. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. That was before they did the, the huge upgrade for the seating. Because I don't know if you know, but they made the grandstands much, much larger. Yes. For yeah. all the Argo fans, apparently. <laughs> and How dare you, sir? <laughs> it was the first concert I'd seen that had like apartment building sized HD screens. So even if you, you were far enough back, because we had floors and we were probably three quarters of the way back in, on the floor, you could see the whole show on these giant screens. And the other thing that so was notable. No, they had put down something. Okay. I, I'm guessing they put wood down. A platform down. Okay. Yeah, over top of the grass. But the sound... For an outdoor stadium, a wide open outdoor stadium, the sound was incredible. Probably one of the best sounding concerts I'd ever heard. It should be, you would expect. You would expect, but have you been to some outdoor shows? Well, the Molson Amphitheater is not always optimal, but I, I feel like that's more to do with the bowl structure and the, all the concrete. A little bit of echo around there with all the concrete. I've had good luck at Amphitheater. I've yeah, seen some I, phenomenal I've had shows both good there. Good and bad shows there. 
from an audio perspective. But this kind of didn't make sense that they were able to project such incredible sound so clear and the band was so good, so tight. And Phil, who is a very, very, very funny guy, builds an incredible rapport with the audience and has people laughing in between songs. I've, I've never seen him live. I, that's interesting that he's as personable as that. Super fun guy to see live. I was really, really surprised to go see them live. We've had this discussion many times that I don't want to see these bands at the end of their careers. Yes. But this bucked the trend. They were amazing. It was an amazing, amazing night. It's a concert. I One of those ones I remember and one of those ones that make me want to go see Genesis again because they are touring or they were supposed to tour in 2020, but with COVID, they had to push it back. The problem is, and Phil Collins just toured. I don't know if you know that. I did not. And his son played drums. Oh. One of the reasons Phil stopped touring for a while was the physicality of it. It was the drumming. He had a really, really difficult time. But he did just tour. I think he toured in 2019. And his son played for him. And it was supposed to be a very, very good show. The problem was Kim and I went and looked for tickets. And floor seats were $1,000 each. Good Lord. (laughs) So no thanks. I'm good. Not going to spend that kind of money. I was angry at him for that. All gone from Ticketmaster. And this is where they were selling on the resellers? No. That was the ticket price? That was the posted price? I believe so. Wow. The the cheapest seat was like $400. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I was angry with him for that. You SOB. How dare you rip us all off? Yeah. Still sold out. Oh, of course. People will pay, man. It's frustrating because I think it keeps the, the real fans away. Although I guess if you're a real, real fan... You're stupid enough to blow an entire paycheck on a, on a concert ticket. That's a lot of hay. That's a lot of hay. But if Genesis toured again and they came through and tickets were reasonably priced, I would definitely go and see them. I think it would be a good show. They're pretty competent musicians. And I think Phil still has it as far as his voice goes. So I think it would be well worth seeing them. They're a solid band. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010. With Gabriel or? You know, that's a good question. I'm going to say that they were probably inducted with both. Yeah. I would assume that. I don't know that for sure. They also had a ton of members. Over the years, yeah. And side projects. Because Phil Solo wasn't the only side project. No, Mike and the Mechanics. Yeah. Was Mike Rutherford's solo project. And somewhat successful. They had some popular songs. They did have a number one hit, the song In the Living Years. Yeah was a number one song. Obviously, Peter Gabriel had an incredible solo career. He sure did. So, but most of the other guys, meh. Steve Hackett was their guitarist in the 70s, and he stuck around for a little bit with Phil. Not to be confused with Buddy Hackett. <laughs> he left, and at that point, they released the album, and then there were three. And that was kind of the beginning of them becoming more of a pop-type band, dropping the theatrics. And the prog influence. And the Prague influence, the fantasy crap stuff. Do you find that it's two distinct fan bases? Any idea? I don't know for sure. I'm going to say yes. I think there is a group of people, probably a fair bit older than we are, that know Genesis more for the Peter Gabriel years. They had a big following with him. Not as big as with Phil Collins, not even close. But enough, I think, to still have a a separate fan base of Peter Gabriel Genesis fans. Makes sense. Yeah. It's a significantly different sound. It is very, very different. Genesis was born for me in the late seventies. That's the music anyway, that I pay attention to. Anytime I've heard anything else, not interested. I had tickets one night. There's a show that goes, it, it comes fairly often to Toronto called the musical box. Yeah. I remember that when they brought, the lamb lies down to toronto yeah it's a tribute band right yeah and they bill it as being note for note reproductions of entire albums a good friend of mine has seen a couple of musical box performances i don't remember which albums but he just had nothing but raves i had free tickets and i didn't go what to which performance 
couldn't be bothered. I don't know. It was probably a decade ago. And Kim and I were given tickets knowing, you know, somebody gave us tickets knowing that we were both big Genesis fans. And I started looking into it and I'm like, I'm good. I would much rather they do a, a note for note, cut for cut of any other Phil Collins album than, than to go see The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really don't care. And that's weird. You know, with Van Halen, I, while Sammy Hagar is my favorite, I still love a lot of the DLR stuff. Yeah. A lot of those other bands on that list, I like both. I like GNR. I like Velvet Revolver. I like Rage Against the Machine. And I like Audio Slave. But in this case, I'm just not a fan. And like I said, I love the Peter Gabriel solo stuff. But for whatever reason, I don't know why. They don't gel for you. They just doesn't work for me. And then all of a sudden, Phil Collins comes along and they're brilliant. There's no comparison to me. But maybe that's a good thing, right? They developed a, a new sound and a new persona and they took it and ran with it and yeah. became incredibly successful with you it. You like what you like? Yeah, absolutely. On that note, we should probably look at wrapping things up because I've been blabbing on here for quite some time. Yeah, you've been really going at it. Yeah, I really have. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. No, you, you're expressing your heartfelt love for a band. How can that be bad? True. Very, very true. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please consider following us. Until next time, keep listening to the music that means something. And always try and listen with an open mind. And communication. <laughs>